Hey, welcome to the podcast. It's Tuesday. Got a great show for you today. Uh, socialism. It is actually working. It is working exactly as is designed to make people equally miserable. We talk about that. Also, this crazy court case with uh, Harvey Weinstein. And, and I mean, should he have gone to jail? We all think he's guilty. But thinking and being able to prove it is something different. In this case, the facts are really hard to understand how they came up with a guilty verdict on that. Why do you hate women? Uh, Sarah Carter is on with Sarah Carter. I think she's a woman, and I love her. She's on today, uh, and she'll be talking about uh, Phil Haney, the death of an American patriot, who apparently... Drove out on the middle of a highway, then stopped his car, got out, and took a shotgun, pointed it to his own chest, and killed himself. Which is the way it always happens, right? How many times? If I had a nickel for every time I heard of that story, well, I'd have a nickel. Because I've only heard it once. Also, Bernie Sanders, the radical that he is, and the coronavirus update you don't want to miss. And don't forget to to subscribe to Stu Does America on YouTube. And if you happen to be on a podcast app right now, which I know you are, click on over to Stu Does America and click subscribe. And make sure to rate and review this podcast as well as Stu Does America because it makes us feel special inside. And that is the biggest. No, it's really no. It actually helps most people, new people, discover. That's what it's for. So you're saying it doesn't make you feel good inside? No, it makes me feel good inside. But that's exactly what I said. Case closed. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. Fifteen years ago, I was on this broadcast and I told you the time is going to come where you won't recognize your country, where everything is upside down. Everything you counted on, everything you thought was solid would be liquid and liquid would be solid. Well, we're here. Ten years ago, I was called a racist for pointing out that many in our government and those especially in the Democratic Party were Marxists and socialists claiming to be progressives. And I said that there would come a time when they would take their masks off. They would, they would actually come out, and this was in 2009, and people said, this is crazy. They would come out because they wanted to tell you capitalism doesn't work. And they would say, yes, I'm socialist because the free market doesn't work. I warned that conservative voices would be in peril as the old line media empires would begin to burn themselves down. I warned you that the European totalitarian right would rise again and trouble was on the horizon for Europe. It would destabilize and eventually the left and right would join forces. They would begin marching in the streets that Russia would run a propaganda campaign to split us apart. That we would begin to hear the same progressive socialist talk of death for undesirables and celebration for the death of babies. The same kind of stuff the world endured and had to conquer in the 20s and 30s because they just wouldn't pay attention. I told you 15 years ago that more and more conspiracy theories would circulate and believed by a majority of people. More and more people would buy into them because all of our institutions would lose credibility. Five years ago, deep fakes would be introduced and would finish the concept of truth. I warned you about these things. Now we have to prove to the world that the insanity can stop. So how do we do it? 
Well, it's easy if we return to the self-evident truths. If we just remember who we are, where we came from, remember and admit that life in America doesn't suck as much as everybody seems to think it does. We have to decide we're not going to commit suicide as a society, as a nation, as culture. And there are decisions that we have to make right now. Destroying life, abortion. Creating life, AI. And the fastest to affect the entire world, the choice between the free market and socialism. We are there. And a lot of people in the media are pretending to believe that democratic socialism is just a new coat of paint on the same old FDR democratic policies. But it's not true. As I will point out in our special on uh, Wednesday, tomorrow at 9 p.m. Eastern time. The Wednesday night special is on Bernie Sanders and the radicals, the revolutionaries. The Islamists, the anti-Semites, the Marxists, the communists that surround him. We've told you just yesterday what was in Salon magazine about their plan, their actual plan. They're, They're printing it now online in mainstream, if you can call it that, mainstream publications telling people, Yeah, we're going to destroy capitalism. That's what we have to do. Well, the only way to beat this is with information. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. Nobody can fool you if you have knowledge. A couple of things on socialism. Uh, I have a new book that is coming out. Is it next month, Stu? In April. I think it's the first week of April. And I want you to order it online right now at Amazon.com. Order it is called Arguing with Socialists. It's over 400 pages. We made it into something that's really easy to read. It's in the format of Arguing with Idiots. It comes out April 7th. You can order it right now. It has about 100, or I'm sorry, about 80 pages, I think, of footnotes. So everything that we say in it is footnoted so you know if you're doing a paper if you're trying to convince somebody if you're trying to show don't show them my work oh that's glenn beck of course he says that show it from the new york times everything is footnoted because we have to dismiss a couple of things first that capitalism doesn't work and the second thing socialism doesn't work now let me be the first to say that Socialism does work. It works perfectly every single time. It's, it, it is designed to do one thing, and that is make everybody equal. And if you look at it as just equally miserable, it works. Socialists saying capitalism doesn't work. Look at all the fat rich people. Look at all the inequality. Doesn't work. Look at all the poor starving people, all those dead bodies in front of the, the hospitals in, in America. First of all, there are no dead bodies. People are not starving to death in America. But capitalism is doing exactly what it's supposed to do. And that is create inequality. 
the equality of outcomes is what socialists want. The goal of socialism is equality, and the two systems achieve the opposite results. The goal of capitalism is, in a way, inequality. That is the natural result of the free market. Capitalism is inequality of outcomes. It encourages, it acknowledges that people are different. People have different work habits. There are some people that you can't stop me from working. I work all the time. It's what I do. I'm driven by it. I actually love my job. There are other people who don't. They love their they love their knitting. They love their art. They love their family and only want to be with them. They want to work in the home. That's great. But the guy who's working at running a corporation because he is affecting millions of lives, he's going to make more money than the person who is still doing the noble work of just working with the family at home. They, they, they have an equal chance of success, just not monetary success. But we only seem to look at the uh, outcome of money. You can't have merit without inequality. And if you want to get rid of inequality, you must get rid of merit. It's why they started giving trophies to everybody in school. There is no merit. We're all equal. We're not all equal. We are born equal. We have equal rights. But we don't have equal outcomes. If you want to be a singer and you want to go on television and embarrass yourself and you suck, hey, you can do it. You can do it. But Simon isn't going to tell you, oh, man, you're just as good as the last person. It's why we study in school. It's why we work hard for an A. Because with that good grade, while others may have failed, it gave you the promise of bettering your life and your prospects. Many of us get up to strive to create or to invent, not just to better our world, but also better ourselves and our station. And those two are connected. Socialism, it doesn't matter how hard you work. It matters who you are in the end. But everyone and everything is equally miserable unless you're at the very, very top. Capitalism has lifted entire continents out of equal misery and poverty. Capitalism has made the world more unequal but they've lifted billions of people out of poverty. Yes, there still remain shrinking pockets of misery. But because of the free market, the rate of children dying before the age of five has dropped by over half since 1990. Look at the difference between the coronavirus here and what's coming here and how we're going to deal with it and how it was dealt with and what came to China. Yeah, well, they're a free market. No, they're not. No, they're not. They're a communist country. Death before the age of five has dropped by over half since 1990. Yet 70% of the people believe health care and poverty has gotten worse. And Bernie Sanders is leading that charge. It hasn't. But cable news will obsess about, oh, here's the latest scandal with Donald Trump. 
Look at this plane crash. But just that one life-saving improvement is the equivalent of averting 27 major plane crashes full of children every single day. Every single day. Look at the gun problems we have. But the lives saved due to just a few of the improvements made in medicine just over the last few years because of the free market system is the equivalent of erasing every gun-related murder for 630 years. And yet, we don't hear about it. All we hear about is the inequality that is caused by capitalism. Fewer people are suffering and dying than ever before, and there's still a lot to save. While socialism is making everyone except the elites equally starving and desperate in Venezuela, in Cuba, I posted something last night. Look on my Instagram feed. I posted a picture of a OBGYN office, the leading office in Havana. So this is the leading clinic for OBGYN in Havana. That's as, that's as good as you get. I showed you the uh, rooftop where they actually hang all of the rubber latex gloves out to dry because after inserting them into one patient they wash them and then they hang them on a clothesline to dry because they don't have the money or the system to be able to afford the latex gloves that we just throw away well look for the picture and spend send it to your friends I'm tired of the casting of shame on capitalism, and it is time that we start to understand what's being done to us and what our choice really is. More in one minute. Look, there is no one, no one that is coming over our border in the middle of the night. There is no one on the other side of the world that is dreaming of America that they can't wait to get here because they're trying to escape the rich. They're trying to escape the system that keeps them down. They're trying to escape possibly the rich who has taken over the government. The drug cartels. We have a failed narco state on our border now in the South. They are here escaping, not the rich, but the system that dooms them and their children to poverty. They're coming here because they recognize that inequality is a fact of nature, but through merit and equal justice, you can change your status and create a better future for your children. We should seek equality because it's more fair and just. No, it's not. Socialism is about equality, but it's not about fairness. Capitalism isn't about equality of outcomes, but fairness and justice is its objective. When it comes to economics, equality and fairness are not synonyms. The stated goal of socialism is to achieve equality for all. The true goal of capitalism is to achieve liberty and justice for all. And that's why the leftists hate all of this stuff. Liberty and justice for all. It is the American way.
Equality is not our natural state. We're all unique. We're endowed by our creator with our own set of superpowers, skills, and talents, and yes, problems. We have our own weaknesses and challenges, and thank God for that. Otherwise, everything would be the same, but we are blessed to be born here. This is a great country. We've lifted ourselves out of misery first, and now we can voluntarily help the rest of the world. We don't need a government to take a dollar from us and give 40 cents to the poor. Why not allow Americans to take their own daughter a dollar and cut out the middleman, cut out the waste, give the whole dollar to poor? We've done it before, and in fact, nobody has ever done it like we have. I want you to hear carefully, because maybe this is the first time you've heard it, but there is nothing wrong with your desire to achieve, to work hard, to compete, to win. There's nothing wrong with your expectation to be rewarded for your work and enjoy those rewards the way you see fit, which, of course, includes taking care of the less fortunate, should you choose. But you're the only one that can write your story. Your destiny is your own journey to make. I have nothing to do with it. And your failure, I have nothing to do with either. We all stand on our own two feet. They're trying to work on democratic, democratic changes. Well, slavery by majority vote is still slavery. You are the only one that can take away your right through poor choices. But even then, you have the right of redemption to begin again, to pull yourself up out of the mud, into the light. Capitalism has its flaws. It's lost its mooring. The free market and justice should always be blindfolded, but they're not. They're not. Being black, white, rich, poor should never condemn you nor save you. But the world will change in the next 12 months. One way or the other. Will either all be equally enslaved, equally poor, and eventually equally dead? Or we'll humble ourselves. And we'll stand up for the Bill of Rights, which grants us liberty. We will stand up for the people we despise, the things that they say. We'll stand shoulder to shoulder with them because they have a right to do it. We'll stand for the poor, but we'll also stand for the rich. Those who've always been here, those who came on the Mayflower, and those who come here legally today because they're our hope, they're our success. And it, it will come as we stand for blind and equal justice and stand for the glorious natural inequality of all mankind. The best of the Glenn Beck Program. Hey, it's Glenn, and you're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. If you like what you're hearing on this show, make sure you check out Pat Gray Unleashed. It's available wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Sarah Carter, I'm looking at her resume. Formerly Los Angeles News Group, Washington Times, Washington Examiner, wrote numerous exclusives for USA Today, U.S. News World Report. Uh, she is also a reporter now, investigative reporter at Fox News and Fox News contributor. 
She runs her own website, sarahcarter.com. Sarah, I don't see on your bio that you were with us at The Blaze for a long time. I was with you at The Blaze. It should be right there in my bio. <laughs> it's it's not, darn it. I love working at The Blaze. I know. So I will make sure that whoever... No, 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 no. I'm just giving you a hard time. Updated bio. I'm and giving... No, I, I, loved, I loved being at The Blaze. And I got to tell you, we did such incredible work at The you Blaze. You really did. It was during that... It was during that time that I actually uh, met Philip Haney, uh, got to know him quite well, and what a wonderful human being he was. And hearing about his death was so tragic. Um, it it really shook me to the core because I had actually spoken to Phil, I think maybe three months ago. He had called me. We were talking. And, you know, I was so happy to hear from him. Um you know, he had gone through a pretty rough patch after losing his wife last year, uh, and but he was doing great, and he was getting, you know, uh, he was surrounded by family and friends and everybody who loved him. So hearing about his death was really quite shocking to me. Now, he, um, I understand, was getting married next month. He was also in the middle of writing yes. a new book. Did you get any indication at all that, I mean— you and I, he advised us and was a, a deep throat, if you will, on many stories. Uh, and that guy put himself on the line every day, especially during the Obama administration. That guy was an amazing whistleblower. Um, and he was driven by a higher purpose. Did you get any indication at all he might have committed suicide or was thinking that way or was so depressed no, actually, no, there was no indication. I mean, particularly when I remember thinking back on my conversation with him, that there was any issue whatsoever, um, that he was despondent or depressed. I had spoken to a very close friend of his, somebody who had actually, and I, I don't want to mention the name just in case it's private, but just for the idea, I can talk about it. Uh, right after um, uh, the news had broke, a uh, very close friend of his uh, called me and said, look, I had just spoken to Phil on Wednesday. We were talking. He was in such good spirits. Uh, not only did we get on the phone, we were chatting back and forth um, in text messages. He was very excited about the future. Um, he was uh, excited to be married. Um, he was really looking forward to the marriage and to his wedding. Uh, so he was very distressed. Um, he did contact this friend of Phil Haney's, did contact the police uh, there in Northern California who were investigating uh, what had happened to him and, and spoke with them and said, look, I've been on the phone with him on Wednesday. I don't know what could have happened. Um, he was very happy. Uh, he had no indication whatsoever that he was going through any kind of depression. Now, that doesn't mean that he didn't do it, right? I mean, we're, the police are still investigating this. Um, I know that information came out, and uh, they, they've said that this appears to be a suicide. Uh, you know, a lot of people that I spoke to, I mean, it's very difficult to believe it was a, if it was a shotgun. I don't know if we have all the details yet. Uh, putting, you know, putting, uh, shooting yourself in the chest is a very unusual way. On the side uh, of the road, um, pulling your car off on the on side the, of the road. That right. I mean, right. And usually it's not the chest. I mean, with a shotgun, I'm guessing with a shotgun, it's heavier if it was a shotgun. Um, but it, it's a very uh, a difficult situation. Let's just say it's not something that's commonly done. I, you know, but I, but we don't know. We don't know all the details. 
All we do know is that Philip Haney was an incredible patriot and human being who really put everything on the line to get the truth out to the American public about what was happening in the Obama administration um, and his long and illustrious career. Uh, you know, uh, from I mean, th- this is a man who studied Arabic, who understood, you know, the culture who uh, worked at the DHS and was highly recognized, given all kinds of awards for his work, helped found the Department of Homeland Security. Um, And then everything that happened to him during the Obama administration that was so distressing um, and uh, the the issues that he dealt with when it came to, and I think you'll go into that, Glenn, with me in this call, but as far as exposing what was happening where he was asked to erase databases, loads of information in 2009, um, and, uh, and all the information that, uh, that, that he was asked to remove from the databases that would have helped the DHS connect the dots uh, particularly when it came to Islamic extremists in the United States, and he blamed the Obama administration for that. He blamed them for for not uh, for trying to change the narrative, uh, for not telling the American people the truth, and he came out uh, in full force. I do want to get into some of the stuff that you can talk about. You know, um, he was involved in whistleblowing uh, with me on several different things, but I um, he never... Um, uh, we we never discussed it on the air, so I don't want to discuss it uh, just for the estate or whatever. I just don't want to cause any problems. Um, and right. uh, uh, so can you talk about any of the things that he he did do and the impact that he he made? Well, one of the things that he did talk openly about um, much later in 2016, um, he did write an op-ed uh, for The Hill Uh, where he talked about his career and talked a little bit um, about, not into the detail that I'm sure he went into with both you and I and others that he spoke to on uh, Capitol Hill, those being senior congressional members. But he did talk in that op-ed on the Hill about what happened to him. And he talked about, uh, you know, the fact that uh, they asked him to delete and modify several hundred records in what the DHS is known as the um, Treasury Enforcement Communication Systems Database. It's called TEX, and that's how everyone knows it, uh, the acronym TEX. So, you know, he was asked to go in there. He was asked to alter documents. He was asked to delete documents. And mainly it was, he believed, to change this narrative and to take away this stigma Um, When everybody was struggling with what is extremism, what does Islamists mean, what what are these, uh, you know, particularly back in 2008, 2009, 2010, and even after the September 11th attacks, what, what are these extremist groups about? Who are they? Why are they so devout? And he really felt that the Obama administration was like, look, we don't want this appears to be anti-Muslim. We don't want any of this type of narrative. And what had happened was, um, I don't know if everybody remembers, but to to remind everyone, um, before there was a Christmas Day attack, there was the, the, remember, the bomber uh, on the airline. They called him the underwear bomber. And Mm -hmm. uh, it, it didn't go off. Basically, uh, the the bomb did not detonate. The passengers on this plane were able to stop it. 
uh, Obama became very upset in the administration and said, well, why weren't we able to connect these dots? How come we weren't able to get this, you know, to see this in advance? And Phil Haney was like, well, because you guys deleted everything in the database that would have allowed people to connect the dots. This is not the fault of anybody at the DHS or the intelligence community. You've literally disabled us from being able to do this. And Phil wasn't the only one. I mean, Phil came out publicly, but there were a lot of people, even after, you know, September 11, 2001, whistleblowers uh, within United States Citizenship and Immigration Services, people within the Department of Homeland Security who were up in arms. And I, I think that's why when Phil died, it was such a shock to everyone because the people that knew him well knew that he was up against a bohemist, right, mm-hmm. of, uh, because he was a whistleblower, of people that did not want him speaking up, people that did not want him pointing out the failures that happened within the American system, within our government, within these agencies that we entrust. And this has been a problem over and over again. We've seen it from Phil, you know, what Phil's exposed, people that were whistleblowers within United States Citizenship and Immigration Services who said, look, we're just letting people into the country. We're not vetting them, Uh, particularly after 2001 when we thought everything was going to get better. It didn't. It went downhill in some cases in some of these agencies. And we see that these bureaucracies were badly managed or either forced to step aside and allow, you know, this type of, I would, I would call it malfeasance to exist within these agencies, you know, because basically if you're asking people who are the best of the best, which Phil was, Phil Haney was, no matter what anyone says, Phil Haney was awarded some of the top awards by the United States government for his work inside the DHS and for what he was able to do, you know, and, and for what he was able to point out prior to them having him and others erase these databases, um, which is what he claimed. Uh, so it, it is a shock to the system. It's like, wh- what happens to whistleblowers' lives? You know, and you think about so many people that have come forward, real whistleblowers. I'm not talking, you know, people that want to pretend they're whistleblowers, but people with hmm. firsthand knowledge, right? Firsthand knowledge. They were asked to do something that they believed was wrong, and then they step up and they speak out despite everything that could happen to them despite and the backlash i will tell you that i i was with uh, uh philip b- the few days before he came out and uh, announced some of the stuff he did and he was truly terrified he was he had been under uh you know uh a microscope for so long and they had been looking for him to destroy him for so long and he had no protection whatsoever uh, and he spent a lot of his time very worried, looking over his shoulder. Sarah, the last question. I know that um, the last time I spoke to him, he was looking into Keith Ellison and Elon Omar, et cetera, et cetera. Then I lost track of him here in the last 18 months. Do you know what he was working on by any chance? Yes, he was. He was continuing to work on Keith Ellison and Ilhan Omar, and he was going to become a very active part of traveling throughout the country and speaking to the American people about, you know, not only his work at DHS, but really trying to uh, explain 
expose and shed light on what's happening in the United States and particularly the shift in politics, what's happened with the Democratic Party, you know, its move towards the left, this inability to speak the truth. I think that was really important for Phil. Phil was somebody who respected everyone, whether you were Muslim or whether you were Christian or whether you he respected everyone. The one thing that he was adamant about was speaking out against extremism. And he said, that you know, he always spoke out against extremists. And that's what he was focused on. And he didn't want people, neither Ilhan Omar, neither Keith Ellison or others, you know, and what he saw in the Obama administration, trying to cover that up you know, either for political correctness or because they didn't want to expose what was actually happening within the administration. He wanted to ensure. And I hope we can keep that memory alive and what he wanted alive, Glenn, because he wanted to ensure that the American people knew the truth. They weren't afraid, afraid to face the truth and that the government would react to the truth appropriately so we could save lives and so that we wouldn't allow another September 11th to happen in this country or anywhere else in the world. Sarah Carter. And for that, I thank, I thank Phil. Um, and I do as well. Sarah, thank you so much. You can follow Sarah. She's got her own podcast, The Sarah Carter Show. You can follow her at sarahcarter.com um, or Sarah Carter DC, her Twitter handle. You know, a few years ago, I couldn't say this, but look at the people who are actually doing real investigative work now. There's Sarah, there's Cheryl Atkinson, there's Lara Logan, and John Solomon. And I would ask that you would support these people, uh, that you would listen to these people, uh, and that you would pray for these people. uh, Because they are doing really difficult work, and many times they're doing it absolutely alone. Sarah, thank you so much. This is the best of the Glenn Beck Program. Hey, it's Glenn, and if you like what you hear on the program, you should check out Pat Gray Unleashed. His podcast is available wherever you download your favorite podcast. Hi, it's Glenn. If you're a subscriber to the podcast, can you do us a favor and rate us on iTunes? If you're not a subscriber, become one today and listen on your own time. You can subscribe on iTunes. Thanks. Justin Haskins uh, is... A good friend of the free market, a good friend of the Constitution, and a good friend of mine. He is also a guy who has really helped out uh, on my next book uh, called Arguing with Socialists. Uh, he is a researcher extraordinaire and, and pretty much a geek uh, when it comes to, you know, staying at home and reading old documents. Welcome to the, to the program. Justin, how are you? I'm doing great. Well, what a, what an introduction. Yeah. Well, I'm a geek. Yeah, well. I appreciate it. But yeah. it's true. Very, you know that. Accurate. I mean, geeks of the world unite. Um, <laughs> you are, uh, you're a guy who found an old article that nobody has exposed yet. We just put it up on glenbeck.com. Uh, your article called Revealing Bernie's Dark Side, One 1980s Quote at a Time. You found who even knew there was such a publication called the what was it the uh, the, militant. the militant that's what it is the militant what an article do you want to take us through yeah yeah absolutely so uh, what I've been spending my Saturday nights doing is uh, looking through old communist newspapers 
In particular, this communist newspaper called The Militants, which is a publication of the Socialist Workers' Party. And throughout the 1980s, these, these publications have tons of interviews with Bernie Sanders, who at the time was known as the America's socialist mayor. He was uh, mayor of Burlington, Vermont. And uh, they loved him as the Socialist Workers' Party because Bernie Sanders, it turns out, was a big communist, not just a socialist, a communist. He supported communist presidential candidates in 1980 and 1984. Uh, he actively campaigned for them. He, he agreed to be a presidential elector for the Socialist Workers' Party. And so they have all these interviews with Bernie Sanders. They quote him a lot. And one of the interviews that I found that was particularly dis disturbing was this interview right after he became mayor of Burlington. And they talk about all sorts of different topics. But the thing that really struck me, the thing that I really I haven't heard anywhere else this, this reported, I think this has been lost for decades, is he's talking about police support. And to, to fully understand this, this quote, you have, to, you have to grasp that within the communist movement and the socialist movement, both today and in the 1980s, they really don't like police. They hate police. They talk about it all the time. And so one of the criticisms of Bernie Sanders, believe it or not, was that he got police support, local police support. So they're asking him about this, and they're saying, hey, it's controversial to some socialists that you got this police support. What do you have to say? And he provides this answer about cops and how there's some good cops here and they're let, good let me, trade unionists. Let me, let me, yeah, let, let, let me read it uh, verbatim. Uh, Sanders added that he knows that some police forces are dominated by fascists and Nazis. But on the other hand, we have a police force and we may, may have our own bad eggs, too. But I don't consider these guys who are making $10,000 a year as my enemies as much as many offend certain people in the left wing movement. We've got good cops here. They're good trade unionists, all regular trade union issues, people who have a concern for young people. Probably the major crime problem we have in the city is with young people. These police see the futility of arresting poor kids all of the time. They want to get involved in some of the projects that we're beginning to do um, uh, to uh, dent this surface on. So he's saying here. Yeah, I know cops are bad. We all know cops are bad. But our cops are trade unionists. And so because they're good members of the union, they're actually good. Most police forces. I mean, I love this. He knows that. OK, he says some police forces are dominated by fascists and Nazis. I'd like to know which ones. So, so would I. I imagine he thinks it's actually more than just a few police forces. It's, it's important to note that actually the writer is the one who said some police forces. The direct quote from Bernie begins with, are dominated by fascists and Nazis. And then there's a dot, 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 meaning we don't know what he said immediately after that. Right, right. It was left out of the story. So who knows what sort of a rant he went on to add things to this to this mix. But it just goes to show you Bernie Sanders is not just this, you know, I, I love Sweden and Norway and Denmark and I just want the world to be like that. No, he is a radical Marxist, I believe, Trotskyite socialist uh, who who wants to radically transform the United States. So tomorrow, Justin, I'm doing a special on the people surrounding him. And the people that are in his campaign are terrifying, truly terrifying, because they are revolutionaries. He is a revolutionary. Uh, 
are you shocked at uh, the willingness for uh, of apparently the average Democrat to just get on board the Sanders train and ride that right into the the communist hell station? <laughs> I, I am not for this reason. I don't think I think this is so radical, but he is so radical, so extreme that when you bring these things up, when you talk about his support for for Fidel Castro and Cuba and the Sandinistas and Nicaragua and, and the Soviet Union, and all these things, it sounds so crazy. I think most people don't believe it. That's that's really where I think this is at. I don't think people believe it because it sounds almost like it's a vast right wing conspiracy, right? It doesn't I mean, sound can you, real. Wait a minute. Could you imagine anyone, left or right, anyone getting on the stage and going, Of course I condemn the Holocaust. Of course I condemn the brown shirts. Of course we all know about Hitler and I condemn all of that. But let's talk about the Volkswagen. Let's talk about his health care. Let's talk about his his youth program. Let's talk about the superhighway, the autobahn that he he did a lot of good things. Of course, we condemn the Holocaust. Can you imagine anyone of any party getting away with that? How the hell is he getting away with this when it comes to Stalin, China, Cuba, Venezuela? I mean, the, the answer is really obvious. It's that the mainstream press lets him get away with it because they are, in in many cases, at the very least, sympathetic to his views, and they and they are secretly rooting for him to win. I mean, that's that's the only explanation because if they had even an ounce of honesty in them, they would point out just how incredibly radical this man truly is. They would point out that he is actively sympathizing and has been actively sympathizing for decades with radical communist and socialist groups. Again, communist groups, Marxist groups for decades. And some people might look at it and say, well, this is 1980. That was 40 years ago. People say really horrible, you know, sometimes stupid, foolish things when they're young, except Bernie wasn't young. He was <laughs> in his 40s. Yeah. He's a middle-aged man. Uh, and and he's not changing. You know, it's one thing if he would be like, you know, I said those things about communism, but then the wall came down and I saw what it really was. No, he's saying today the same things he said back then. There's nothing changed. That's that's exactly right. And he visited those places. I know. He went to the Soviet Union. He went to Nicaragua. He actually saw these things with his own eyes. He met with, with the president of Nicaragua, Daniel Ortega. I mean, he knew these people. He saw what was going on. He is just as radical as it seems he is. It's just so hard to believe that someone that radical, that Marxist, that crazy could get this far. And yet that's exactly where we're at. This man could very likely be, in fact, I think he will be one of two people who will be chosen in November to be president of the United States. That is horrifying. So, Justin, let's not do, because I find myself listening to people saying the same thing about Bernie Sanders that everybody said about Donald Trump. Oh, he's not going to win. These, This is, a, you know, he's crazy. He's radical. Or how is it that these people, they must be bad. They, The voters must be bad. They must be communists. They must, they know this. Why won't they do anything about him? He's a danger. 
well, that wasn't true about our side. So why do we why do we accept that about the left or I shouldn't say the left, the Democrats? What is happening in the lives of the Democrats, the average neighbor Democrat, not the crazy ones, but the average Democrat? What is happening in their life that is allowing them to say, oh, no, you know what? I'll vote for Bernie Sanders. I don't really care. I want the, I want I want Donald Trump out so badly that I'll vote for this guy and shut all reason off. Right. I think that there's a couple of really key important things that have happened. Number one is all of the main institutions are taken over by leftists who have who have basically taught a whole generation, really two generations uh, of people that these ideas really aren't that bad. They don't teach them the history of what's happened in many of these countries that have tried these ideas. So a lot of people are just frankly ignorant about this stuff. That's a big part of it. The other thing is there's been this very a deliberate campaign attempt by Bernie Sanders and other people, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, lots of other socialists, to paint Scandinavia as what they're looking for, when in reality, that's not what they're looking for. And those countries aren't socialist countries, but they've done a very good job of convincing regular people who don't pay attention to the issues very closely that these are the socialist countries that they're trying to be like. And nobody would look at Sweden and say, well, that's a socialist hellhole. Nobody does that. So it's allowed them to point – to finally have something that they can hold up and say, here's an example of something that works, that socialism that works, and this is what we want. And it makes people feel comfortable with calling themselves a socialist and supporting a socialist because they think that's what they're shooting for. Well, when in reality, it's not what they're shooting for. Uh, it is, it's a, a remarkable to me, and you will find it in this article now at glennbeck.com, revealing Bernie's dark side, one 1980s quote at a time. He, that's not what he's shooting for. He may say that, but that's not what he's shooting for. Uh, and if you look at his policies, it's not Sweden. It's not anything like what is happening in the Scandinavian countries at all. Uh, or even at the height of when they were socialist in the 60s and 70s. It's not what he is proposing. I want to ask you one theory um, or listen to listen to a theory of mine about the difference between Barack Obama and Bernie Sanders uh, in one minute. I get the answer again from Justin Haskins. Uh, and Justin, again, wrote that great article. You find it now. Share it with some friends uh, at glenbeck.com. So Justin Haskins is with us. Justin, let me ask you this a theory of mine on the difference between Barack Obama. We saw when Barack Obama came in, we saw Barack Obama for what he was and what some of the people that he put around him were. They were Marxist radicals. But the the key to the failure for Marxism on Barack Obama was he surrounded himself with all of the Clinton people. And the Clinton people may have been about corruption or they may about they may have even been just about good, you know, uh, very, very progressive policies, but they weren't going to end capitalism. And so Barack Obama came in and he's promoting this change and he's, you know, this good soldier of Jeremiah Wright's and the left gets excited about it. But when he gets in, the Clinton people kind of stop him from doing anything too radical and so he loses all of his support. I mean, he still wins the second term, but he's not drawing big crowds and he's not this icon. Bernie Sanders is not the guy to surround himself with people from the Clinton campaign or from the DNC. He despises them. 
He'll go in and he will use every lever he has to fundamentally change in a four-year period. You agree with that? Oh, without without question, without question. Um, I think I agree. With, I agree with your your theory about Barack Obama. I would add that really the biggest obstacle standing in his way was the Tea Party movement yeah. of 2010. It completely crushed any hope that he had of of, of accomplishing further reforms. Uh, and so, and I think that 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 stunted a lot of what he was trying to achieve. But you're absolutely right. He was a Barack Obama was as socialist as you could get while being in within the sort of framework establishment democratic Correct. framework right he's totally uh, but, bernie sanders is out and bernie sanders will use every lever i mean he will use i think i think the uh, uh net neutrality and the uh fairness doctrine for broadcast rules i think those are picnics compared to what will happen to shut people like us down and keep us quiet Absolutely. He's going to use every tool at his disposal to enact what he believes are essential reforms to the system. He wants to completely get rid of our current system. Um, I think that one of the best tools he's going to use is modern monetary theory, this idea that we can just print an infinite amount of money to pay for whatever we want to pay for and then to control society by controlling spending. I believe he's going to do that, and he may actually get a lot of Republicans on board with that because they don't seem to care about the debt anymore either. You're, you're, You're right. Um, The executive, look, Donald Trump has done a lot of really, really good things, but there's a there's a fatal flaw in the Trump administration's tenure. And that fatal flaw is that most of it's been done through executive action, much like Barack Obama's second term. And that stuff can all be wiped out anytime the next president wants. And Republicans in Congress failed to actually get things codified into law. And so now... All of these positive reforms can be wiped away with a single pen stroke, and that's exactly what Bernie Sanders will do, and then he'll replace it with socialist policies instead. Justin, thank you very much. Make sure you get uh, his article at glenbeck.com. Also, Arguing with Socialists, my new book. Order it now on Amazon. Comes out April 7th. The Blaze Radio Network. On demand.